This particular story in John chapter 19 is the account of the crucifixion of Jesus. And in one sense, you might feel like it's not quite right that he should have been there because there are a lot of other things that he should have done, could have done along the way. <clears throat> but it seems like it's not going to happen. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments about this one little word we'll get to in a moment. If, if you recall the way we ended last Sunday, the language of it was, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Now we're here. So we get to celebrate, and we have. Uh, but back up with me for a few moments to the stage that's set here. It's Friday in Jerusalem. There's a huge crowd that's gathered at the place called Skull Hill. It's on the north side of the city, just outside of the Damascus Gate, and it's located by the side of a well-traveled road. The Romans liked to hold their crucifixions in public places. It had quite an effect upon the people. It uh, left its impression, impression, imprint. This particular crucifixion started at 9, and for three hours everything proceeded normally. But then exactly at noon... The sky goes black, not overcast, but black, pitch black. So black that you probably couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Now, we watched, as I indicated, we probably would, the passion of the Christ to just kind of remind our hearts and soul about the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And they show in, the, in that account, that, that scene of the crucifixion, where things get overcast and dark or whatever, but it's not pitch black. It wouldn't be good video footage to just be looking at a black screen, but that would be the impact of it, almost un undiscernible in terms of what was going on. It wasn't like a normal eclipse. The darkness seemed to pulse and throb and almost like the darkness of a living thing, a, a, a mutant creature that perhaps escaped from some science fiction movie. Only it was no movie. What happened was real, and for three hours, darkness falls across the city of Jerusalem. They, there were no doubt screams, cries, moans, other kinds of utterances. And then just as suddenly as it started, it finished. And darkness lifted and disappeared and vanished and Seemingly, sanity returned to earth, although there was no motion. One glance at the middle cross made it clear that the man Jesus wouldn't last much longer. He looked dead already, his body quivering uncontrollably. We talked a little bit about that last week. His chest heaving with every tortured breath. The soldiers knew from long experience that it wasn't going to be very long before things were going to end. It won't make it to sundown. Then it happens... There are words, and John records a couple of them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Someone in the crowd shouts back. And then moments pass and, pass and death draws near. And, and then there's this hoarse whisper, I thirst. And the soldiers put some sour vinegar on a sponge and lift it to his lips with a stalk of hyssop. And he moistens his lips, takes a breath, and if you listen... You could hear the death rattle in his throat. 
He had less than a minute to live. Then he spoke again. It was a quick shout, just one word. If you weren't paying attention, you missed it in all the confusion. Then he breathed out another sentence, and he was dead. The last word. The one word. One little word. And so let me give you that word. After the stage is set, finally a word is spoken. John 19.30 says, it is finished. And you say, wait a minute, that's three words. And I say, yes, in English it is. But in Greek, it's only one. One little word. Now, I'm going to help you remember what the word is. Have you ever had, um, at some point in time, or known somebody, that way it kind of removes it from personal if you're a little bothered by that, a thing that's affected your eye called a sty. Ever heard of a sty in your eye? It's, it's like, a, like a, you get ingrown hair, and then it gets festers, and it gets kind of like a pimple there, and then you gotta you got to deal with it. And it's painful. It gets inflamed, that kind of A sty. Now, when you get a sty, you would want to tell that sty to go away, if you could. To tell a sty. So here we are. Here's our Greek lesson. The little word is to tell a sty. So this I'm going to help you remember it. So I want you to paint, pick, pick, get a picture of a wall with a big eyeball. Okay? So you're, you're going to remember this. An eyeball staring at you with a big sty on it. And you're going to, to tell that sty. You're going to, to tell a sty to go away. Okay? So here's, that's, that's your word association. If it doesn't work for you, find another one. Okay. To tell a sty. So here, I want you to repeat it after me. I'll, I'll say it and you repeat it back. To tell a sty. One more time. To tell a sty. And what's the mental picture you have? Well, I, whatever it is for you. Okay. One word, one little word, the, the last word likely that Jesus says. The word is spoken. In that word, I want to just kind of give you a little bit more uh, depth of, of that word. I want you to note first the root of that word, and it literally means to complete or accomplish something, to bring it to an end. One translation of this portion of Scripture, when it says, it is finished, translates it this way. I can't remember if it was ESV or not, but it says, it is accomplished. That's a perfectly fair interpretation of that word. In other, it's bringing something to an end. That's the root of it. The tense of the word, which in Greek language, and again, I don't come to give you a Greek lesson today, but, but you're getting along a, a along the way. In the, in the language of Greek, they use several different tenses of the verbs to describe a particular kind of action. For instance, present tense is often continuous action. Uh, the person is running. It's just a current process action. This particular verb is used is in what is called the perfect tense, which means simply this. It is a past action with a continuing result in the present. That's what perfect tense does in Greek. Uh, we will have to work on how well it translates to English. But, but at any rate, here it's talking about something that was accomplished in the past that has a continuing result in the present. So it's put in the perfect tense. So what Jesus did when he said, tetelestai, it is finished, was put in the, in the language of the scripture in perfect tense so that we understand that it was an event that occurred but has a continuing impact on our lives today.
Uh, that's true for Christianity, for people who follow Christ, that what Jesus did on the cross was a past act, but it has a current effect or impact on us today, continuing to result in the word, in the present. I also want you to note the precision of the word. So we, we talk about a root, we can talk about a tense, we can talk about the precision of the word. He chooses his word carefully. And he says, it is finished. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he doesn't say, I'm done. Because it wasn't him that was finished. It was something else that was finished. Well, I know he was in one sense finished in terms of his dying, his death. But it is finished, not I am finished. What was it that was finished on the cross long ago? What are its impacts and consequences for us today? A couple things. The God-ordained sufferings were finished. If you backed up at all this week, either in your reading or looking at something that would recount to you the, 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 the last days of Christ, even if you back to Palm Sunday through, even before you get to Thursday, Friday, that kind of thing, you cannot get away from the fact that there was a lot of suffering that Jesus went through. But these were not a surprise to God. They were God-ordered, foretold in the scriptures in many cases. The manner of his death, the, the, the means of it, all foretold. And that's all a part of the sufferings that were God-ordained and they were finished. No longer were they uh, going to be have to be carried out. The prophecies that were foretold were finished. They were filled full. That's the nature of prophecy. You foretell something and it comes to pass and it's fulfilled, the fulfillment of prophecy. Whether you're talking about the birth of Jesus or the death of Christ or any other events that are filled full with meaning because they've been prophesied by prophets of old, Isaiah in particular more often. The abuse of his enemies was finished. There was no longer that pouring out of wrath. When we watched The Passion of the Christ, what struck us uh, this week was, was the seeming delight. And I understand it's a movie, but the seeming delight of these Roman soldiers to execute their job and beat the prisoners, in particular in this count, the person of Jesus. That abuse was finished. The ceremonial law was finished. In other words, when Jesus comes, he comes not to abolish the law. He will tell you that earlier in the gospel. He said, I didn't come to tear him down. I came to fill it full. I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it, to become, to become the sacrifice, uh, the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews loves to develop that particular theme. The ransom price of sin was finished. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, you had to come in and give a certain kind of sacrifice, depending upon what you could afford to do or what your status was, and, and whether it's a, a, a bird or, or a, a more, more involved sacrifice, a lamb, whatever it may be that they would offer. Those are requisites of the law. But now that ransom price is all completed. No longer do we need to be sacrificing. Sometimes people still when they come uh, and they're still on the outside looking in, that's a phrase I often use when someone is pre-conversion. They're still, they're still not quite fully convinced. 
So when they're on the outside looking in, they're, they're trying all kinds of ways to figure out how can I earn this salvation? Because that's the way it's kind of drilled into us. If you're coming from a, a Roman Catholic background, it's a, sometimes can be a, a, a system of works. If you just do this and this, and you get this action uh, uh, forgiven or whatever it may be, uh, it's, it's a matter of what I have to do. And in the difference between that and Christianity is it's not a religion of do. Christianity is a religion of done. It's done. It's completed. This ransom sacrifice has been cared for. The physical sufferings of Jesus were finished. No more did he have to endure. Further humiliation was a part of the cross experience. Um, and the work of redemption was finished. No longer is it something that we need to purchase or buy in any way by ourselves. It is done. It is completed. Those God-ordained items were part of that experience. So Jesus provides a full satisfaction for our sin. No longer do I need to earn it, work for it, try to be good enough to do it. Not only for the people in his day, but for our day as well. There are people who just still feel like they aren't quite good enough or they've got to do something more. If I could only become a missionary somewhere, then I'd feel better about that and that would make more sense to me and I could feel like I'm contributing as an act of response back to God for what he has done. But the message of the gospel is that full satisfaction for sin has been cared for. It is a fatal blow to Satan. Satan thinks he's got it taken care of. And probably from the look of Good Friday... It seems that Satan has won, but that's only Friday, and Sunday's coming. The fountain of grace is opened by Jesus, and it flows forever for everyone. And, and you understand that God has no grandchildren. I, I, I love it when there are little bodies around in the church. I know it gets a little noisy, but that's all right. Would you prefer the sound of a funeral home in your church? I don't think so. So I'm always good for that. And with that, with the presence of those smaller ones, uh, you know, there, there's life there to it. The grace that we have, that fountain of grace is open and it flows forever. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So if you are here today, and you are trying to live this Christian life on the bootstraps of mom or dad, or grandma or grandpa along the way, you're, you're living a life that is very ill-conceived, misconception that's going on, because Christ only has, God only has children, children of God, not grandchildren of God. There may be a legacy that you are carrying along, that's fine, but God only has children. The foundation of peace is laid, a peace that's going to last forever. So that when at some point in time a person like me or you gets laid to rest in a grave, um, that's not the last stop for me. It might be for a body for a while, but there's life that's found and peace that's found in following the Christ. So we've looked at the root and the tense and the precision of the word. One final piece is the finality of that word. What, what is it? When he says, to telestai. Oh, oh, that was a powerful on the microphone. To telestai. 
what's the power of that, the finality of it? We might put it a different way. Uh, and uh, one way to describe it would be paid in full, paid in full. Uh, I used to have a, a stamp, a rubber stamp, you know, that you mark paid, you know, kind of thing, paid in full. Uh, when Jesus says to tell us die, it is finished, that means that things are already fully cared for. So we come to Jesus with our sin or our sins. We have a sin problem that shows itself in terms of sins that we do. We've got to deal with the root cause, which is the sin issue. When Jesus says to Telestai, he's, it's like he's coming to you and saying, what's your sin? So here are some things. Sometimes we wrestle with anger. And Jesus says, to Telestai, it's paid in full. That, that is cared for. That's cared for in my sacrifice. Sometimes we have uncontrolled ambition. Sometimes we gossip. Sometimes there's drunkenness. Sometimes there's embezzlement. Sometimes there's lying. Sometimes there's disobedience. Sometimes there's laziness. Sometimes there's pride or murder or bribery or any number of other things that we can come up with that might be things that you think you've done that are too bad that Jesus can't look beyond. And he doesn't overlook our sin, but he does cover over our sin through his precious blood. And when we come to Christ, there's only one word that you want to hear from him, and it's the Greek word to telestai. And that may be the last time you remember that word, unless you remember the sty in your eye, I think, to telestai. That's the last time you probably will encounter a Greek word along the way. But the point is this, it is finished. Everything that Jesus has accomplished on the cross is sufficient for you to fully embrace the life in Jesus Christ on this resurrection, resurrection day morn. Um, I quoted from a hymn uh, earlier. The story is told of a of a, a generation gone past now. A pastor received an old hymnal from a Nigerian pastor who was being used in a church in Nigeria. It was compiled by Ira Sankey, which if you have any history with Christian hymnology, that name would ring a bell somewhere. Likely he was the song leader of D.L. Moody's. And in this old hymn, it includes words, and it's in, in a way in which we don't normally express it. I noticed that a couple of the songs, one of them at least, was a remake of, uh, of an old hymn uh, this morning that we used. Uh, and I, I found myself trying to think the old hymn and sing the new one. I was like, oh, which way do I go? But, but sometimes that, the hymnology gets inside of you and you can't, can't separate it well without going a little bit <clears throat> along the way. But there's a powerful message in the hymn. And so let me read it for you. I think I'll, I think I'll scroll up through. So here's the, here's the words from the hymn. It says this. And listen, the message of the hymn. That's what the songs are intended to do. Convey the theology of belief and express it. But here's how it puts it in this older hymn. Nothing either great or small. Nothing sinner, no. Jesus did it. 
did it all long, long ago. It is finished. Yes, indeed. Finished every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? When he from his lofty throne stooped to do and die, everything was fully done. Hearken to his cry. Weary, working, burdened one, wherefore toil you so? Cease your doing. All was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling by a simple faith. Doing is a deadly thing. Doing leads to death. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. One word is all you need to tell us die. One of the things uh, on this particular day that is a day of celebration is the magnificence of the Christ uh, that we serve. And, and we, could, we could get homiletical coming out the ears on this one in terms of you know, the magnificence of the Christ. There is a, there is a thing that was done uh, a while back now that I think would be helpful for us to understand uh, who this King Jesus really is. And so I want you to listen as we talk about uh, who this King Jesus is. It's similar to the piece that we did last week, but listen. Thank you, Frank. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the he sympathizes and he saves. He's present and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the 
That's the king that we serve. And and I don't know if you can, uh, that, that that's kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant, you know, with all the descriptions that come at you kind of thing. But you can't get them out of your mind. You can't live with them. You can't live without them. They couldn't live with them. They can't, you, you can't live without them. And so hopefully one of those pieces will be helpful for you to keep in mind that when Jesus breathed his last, with those words, says, it's finished, Everything's been taken care of for you, for me. And all that we need to do is make our humble confession and our obedient response and let him be king of kings to our lives. And, and that's the good news we get to tell. I was coming out of the hotel this morning and I had the shirt on and dress slacks. And one of the gals there says, uh, you going to church today? You're Philippine kind of guy, uh, I think, you know, and, uh, and she said, going to church today? I said, this is one of the best days to go to church. I says, on this Resurrection Sunday. She smiled and said, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, she had to work, but that's another issue. So that's where that goes. Will you stand with us as we close this morning? And you'll be spending time together with family and friends probably today one way or another. Uh, hopefully your family are your friends too. <laughs> and uh, you'll be able to enjoy good fellowship together. Never forget that the reason for family and fellowship is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He said, it's all done. It's all taken care of. Let him take care of it for you and your family. Don't be bashful about sharing what Jesus Christ has done for you and in you as you enjoy time together. Let's pray. We are so thankful, Father, that in one little word, you, you took care of business we stand amazed at the sacrifice of your son. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. How wonderful, how marvelous, and our song shall ever be. How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. We are so grateful that we can come here together today and confess the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We accept that. We receive that. 
And if there's ever been a, a moment of doubt, a whisper of doubt within our hearts, may today be a settled day for us where we realize that Jesus paid that all for me. And as we go from this place and um, exit to serve you, we pray that we'll always be mindful of a, of a needy family, a, a needy world around us, as Frank reminded us earlier about this valley. Maybe, maybe our neighbors, maybe people we bump into in a variety of different settings that maybe you're preparing their hearts. They're like the man of peace. They're, they're like the person you're, you're, you've already spoken to. And now they're just looking for somebody to give them a good word. May we be people of good word as we speak to them words of life. May your grace and your mercy and your peace rest upon this people as they go from this place and bless them richly with a sense of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Now go tell somebody about that. Bless you.